Jesus, we acknowledge your reign and rule in this place. We acknowledge your reign and rule over us and even those parts of us that we hesitate to give away. Those parts that we hold back or keep to ourselves, hoping that you won't notice. Jesus, we actually speak your reign and your rule and your provision of those places. And so I pray, Father, for these moments that we share, that you would extend your reign and rule into our parenting and into our lives afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, go ahead and take a look at this video. So how has the gospel been good news for our family? I would start with, for a long time, I would feel even like coming here that yes, you know, we were a part of a church, but I never ever really felt comfortable or felt I was one of those people that I feel like Kyle has talked about that um, lacked that confidence and feeling comfortable to talk about God. I don't know all the scriptures. I don't, um, I didn't know how to pray out loud. And when I would pray, I would pray, you know, just asking for things. And now I feel, and I think the same for you is that we feel like God wants us the way that we are. So it's okay that we can't quote scripture. It's okay that we get really nervous, even in, you know, situations that are new, we will feel really uncomfortable, but it's okay. Like that's how God wants us. And he loves us. And that's how I feel he's using us in some way. So I feel that's why it's good news. And, you know, like when we're, we're going through this, we can be there for others that are being in our situation that we're in now, you know, once we're out of this, then they can, you know, we can help them down the road. So I do feel that the gospel has changed the way that at least I parent and I will let you, you know, talk about your end, but that I'm a little more forgiving. Um, there's a lot of times I'm very, you know, this is the way it should be. And I, that's not how, well, yes, that's the way God wants us, you know, to be good people. And I want my children to be good people, but God has forgiven me. So I am more forgiving when they're not so perfect. Yeah. And we're trying to instill in our children what, you know, what uh, we feel that they shouldn't and leading a life and with Jesus and God in their lives. So trying to bring them in every Sunday with us and uh, trying to lead them in the right direction. And just to add to that too, like we have been in situations even recently where we get asked a lot of questions from our children, more so our older one, but, um, and it's put us in situations where we have had to sit down as a family and we've had those conversations of, well, how um, is God getting your attention? And we've learned that through, mm. we're a part of a huddle and we really do try to take what we learn from that and implement it with our children. Yeah. Prior to this year, we've come to church when, you know, we've had time or, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> it wasn't a every Sunday thing. We didn't, participate in extras that often. Um, but this last year, I really felt when COVID happened, you, I just really felt overwhelming, like God 
you know, coming into our lives to where, you know, I started to join the Bible studies and it was just like one thing after the next. And it was then when we were asked to do a huddle, super uncomfortable for the both of us, but it was like, we talked about it, we prayed about it and it has been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And things that we discuss, um, after it's improving our relationship as well, you know, not only with, with each other, we're improving our relationships with the others in the church. We've gone out to dinner with others. Um, the discussions that we've had has, has just been uh, lots of improvements on everything. So, and we, yeah, and I think too we've incorporated like praying more at home. I feel like I, at least for me, when I would pray before, it was always just a you know asking God for things and now like when we sit down for dinners we sit and we pray when we're kind of going through struggles a lot of times I'm someone too who wants to take control of that situation I'm trying not to so much and trying to figure out you know okay God has us in this situation for a reason and we're trying to learn from it grow from it I think that we would both respond that absolutely yes that the gospel is good news for their family and um, what that would look like for them and like um, how they could learn from that or implement I don't know um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like at one point in time we were that couple and that family that felt like we didn't know very much and we felt or at least I felt too like some of the situations that I've been through in my own life my own decisions that sometimes you can feel that yes God may love you but you know, is there really a place for you in the church? And I feel now much stronger to be able to tell other people that it doesn't matter what you've been through. If, you know, you go to church and you love Jesus and you try to live your life the way that he wants you to, I mean, that's amazing news because he wants all of us. So. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have said any better. you got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. I find preaching on Mother's Day to be particularly difficult. Christmas, bring it on. Easter, let's go. But Mother's Day is a challenge, and it's a challenge because Mother's Day is complicated. There are some among us who are being celebrated as moms, who get to celebrate with their moms, and this is good because, by the way, moms are superheroes. This is great, but there's a lot of us that come at Mother's Day with other experiences and other things in mind, and so we spend the day missing our mom. We spend the day wishing our relationship with our kids or our mom was different than it is. Some of us spend the time wishing that they could be a mom. I mean, this is only our third Mother's Day among you because in our journey of infertility and miscarriage, it just felt easier to be absent, right? Um, so uh, there's a variety of ways that we come at Mother's Day. And so as I was contemplating all of these angles, it just felt really hard to figure out how to speak good news to that. How do we speak good news to just the complicated array of perspectives and experiences in the room 
this Mother's Day. And then as I was praying into that and thinking about it, I, I was confronted by the good news. And this is the good news this morning, that however you come at Mother's Day, in grief, in joy, in disappointment, in contentment, in sadness, however you come at Mother's Day, all of us are invited to be parents and find parents in the family of Jesus. All of us are invited to be parents and find parents in the family of Jesus. This is the good news. If you are missing your mom today or wishing for a different kind of relationship with your mom, you can find a mom, you can find a dad in the family of Jesus where there are spiritual parents waiting to nurture and invest in you. This is the good news. If you are longing to be a parent today, if you're grieving the loss of a child, if you're grieving infertility, you can be a parent in the family of Jesus. That God-given desire to nurture and build up and invest in can be fulfilled and met and spoken to by this good news as we become spiritual parents for one another. We're going to explore this idea and kind of building off of last week, building off of last week's idea of the church as a family, double-clicking on our shared call, everyone in this room. Nobody can leave today and say that sermon didn't apply to me because everybody in the sound of my voice, once you say yes to Jesus, you are called to spiritually parent others. Even as maybe you biologically parent or biologically grandparent, you're called to do that. This is for all of us, and for those of us that do get to biologically parent, uh, we will find that a lot of what scripture has to say about spiritual parenting matters to biological parenting too. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages, but let me just give you a little bit of context. As we explore the letters of the New Testament, we find family language everywhere as Paul and John and Peter are writing letters to churches around the Mediterranean world. They use family language, and they use family language to talk about the church because Jesus came from a family to start a family. Jesus leaves his father's side where he eternally lived in the unity and love of family with the father by the power of the Holy Spirit. He leaves that. He comes to us to start a family. This, by the way, means that Jesus was a spiritual, was, was, Jesus, as he was a spiritual parent, was a single parent, right? That as Jesus came to start a family and lead this family, he did it as a single parent. I, I hope that's an encouragement. Jesus looks at his family and he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? This is Mark 3. Look, he says, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does, does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Paul takes on this language as he's writing letters in the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, another favorite passage of mine, uh, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as you would a father. Appeal to him respectfully. Speak to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as mothers, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Paul uses the language of family as a lens to address how we speak to one another in the church. Hopefully he doesn't have like the show Modern Family in mind or, or The Sopranos 
in mind, right? Hopefully he has the kind of family, a family in mind of respect and love and mutual submission and understanding. And, and the implication of this text is that when I am embedded in the community of the church, I not only find brothers and sisters, I also find mothers and fathers, and I am called to spiritually parent sons and daughters. This is how Paul himself operates. By the way, Paul, who is also single and also unmarried, describes himself as a spiritual father. He says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, I am writing to Timothy my true son in the faith. In verse 18 of that chapter, he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Paul, a single man, unmarried, no biological children. Paul is adopted into the family of Jesus, and he becomes a spiritual father. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you, so I urge you to imitate me. Paul says that he has a parental posture toward the church that he leads. He is more than a teacher. He is more than a guide. He is a father. The moment he preached the good news to these people, he became their father. It's like part, Paul was part of their birth. It's like he was the midwife or the mid-husband. There, as the new birth was brought about by the Holy Spirit, he was there helping the process along. And that's why in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains again. And, to, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. On this Mother's Day, I'm thankful for the women in the room who have experienced the pain of childbirth. I cannot, I will not even begin to assume what that is like. But Paul says that the weight of walking alongside a person as they experience spiritual transformation feels like childbirth. And my friends, it does. I have had the, the deep honor of walking many people in our church through various stages of spiritual growth. I've even seen some go from no interest in God and no interest in faith to over coffees and conversations and late nights and more conversation. See spiritual life born into them and watch them grow. And can I tell you that process is painful? Can I tell you that process is heavy? Can I tell you that's why Paul says in one of his other letters, every day the weight of the churches is upon me because the sacred growth that takes place and the investment that we make in others can be painful. I feel parental toward our church. In fact, here's what I would say is that for Steph and I, these verses about being spiritual parents is the primary lens through which we view our relationship to our church is as parents and children, even if you could be my parents' age or grandparents age or my great grandparents age I view the leadership role that Stephanie and I have in our church as spiritual parenting which means by the way I'm just never not parenting I'm just never not either I'm parenting my spiritual children or I'm parenting my biological children in fact uh, one of the psalms I read this morning as we started worship Psalm 128 
says that your wife will be like a fruitful vine and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. As I was reading that, I felt like the Lord was saying, this is applying to both my biological and spiritual children, that there will be, that there are olive shoots around our table. And we feel so honored to be in this posture of spiritual parenting. You have a lot of guides, you have a lot of podcasts that you can listen to. There's a lot of radio preachers you can catch or TV preachers that you can catch. My in-laws in height of COVID would say, oh, we watched David Jeremiah and then we watched our church and then we watched you and then we watched this person and then we watched this person. Aren't they spiritual? Uh, and, and, uh, but, but listen, you, you can find a lot of guides, you can find a lot of teachers, but as far as I'm concerned, if this is your church home, like we are the spiritual parents of this family. And we love that task. And we want to equip our whole church to realize that not only are you the son and daughter of the king, not only are we brother and sisters in this family together, we are also mothers and fathers toward one another. Everyone in the sound of my voice is called to be a spiritual parent. In every season, in every generation, amongst every generation, we are called to be spiritual parenting. This is good news that we can be, we can find parents and be parents in the family of Jesus, even when finding parents and being parents seems a challenge. So today I want us to think about how we parent. I want us to think about how we invest in the people that we are spiritually parenting. How do we midwife and mid-husband new spiritual life and people? And here's the, clear, here's the reality. I get to be Jack's biological parent. That is a role that will cease in eternity. But the investment, that I, uh, the investment I make in him will last for eternity, right? Long, I mean, not only is he my son, for eternity, Jack will be my, spirit, my brother in Christ, right? And so I want to be investing in him with that eye so that he lives fully into the calling that God has for him. That's what we do when we're biologically parenting or spiritually parenting, whether we're grandparenting or aunting or uncling or mentoring or Sunday school teaching, whatever it is that we're doing, we're trying to make an internal investment in our kids, biological or spiritual, grand, great, grand, niece, nephew, that lasts. So how do we do that? How does Paul parent? That's why we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 7 and 8 and verses 11 and 12. Starting in verse 7, Paul says, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. This is a foundational verse to how I kind of live my life. Verses 11 and 12. Doesn't mean I do it perfectly. Verses 11 and 12. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Paul helped start this church in a city called Thessalonica, and after he left it, people infiltrated the church telling them that Paul wasn't really the leader, that Paul wasn't really the spiritual father they thought he was, that he was divisive, that he was a burden, that he was rude, that he was harsh. 
And so Paul is kind of defending his ministry here. But even as he's defending his ministry, he's giving us a lens through which we can see how we invest in others, how we biologically and spiritually parent. And notice that Paul describes his ministry not as a leader of an organization, not a CEO, not a boss with his employees. He says he was like a parent. And in verses 7 and 8, he builds a contrast. He says, as an apostle, we could have made demands. In fact, he says we had the right to do that. He said, instead, we were like children, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. See, Paul is building an, a, a contrast in verses 7 and 8, a contrast between authority and vulnerability, between demand and nurture. As parents, it's tempting to use four little words. Because I said so. I have a toddler. So Thursday, Jack wakes up from his nap. We're going to drive up to Cleveland to have dinner with Steph for Mother's Day. I said, Jack, we're going to have dinner with Mama for Mother's Day. I don't like Mother's Day. He's kind of doing this whatever he doesn't want to do. He just says he doesn't like it. I don't like Dad. I don't like Mama. I don't like this. I don't like him. So Steph was trying to be wise. She said, why don't you, but you don't have to say you don't like it. Why don't you say that's not my favorite? Unintended consequences, because that's like, that's not my favorite. <laughs> so I'm trying to get this kid into the car. We had family meeting Thursday night. So we had to like get up to Cleveland, eat, come back in like a three and a half hour window. And so I'm like, just trying to get this kid into the car and on the potty and out the door. And all I want to say to him is, because, why are we doing this? Because I said so, right? I want to insist on my authority. I want to insist in control. I want to push. I want to force. But Paul says that's not the way that we spiritually parent. That's not to say that there isn't drawing a line. We'll see that in a minute. But we don't force the outcome. We don't push the outcome. Instead, Paul says he does the exact opposite. He takes the low road. He does the way of humility, the way of vulnerability, the way of nurture. He says we were like a mother caring for her children. Some translations say like a nursing mother. Jack, uh, we prayed, would breastfeed. God really answered those prayers. He never once took a bottle. In his, he's never once eaten from a bottle in his entire life. We have purchased every bottle available in the American market. Uh, we, have, uh, we have had we had multiple people come over our house and try, right? Maybe if we leave the room, maybe if it's not staff, maybe if it's something that's really nurturing, maybe it's this person, never. And he wanted to eat every two, two and a half hours tops for the first 13 or 14 months of his life. We would leave him with a sitter and like fling him into her arms and then jump in the car and speed to Niles to go have dinner together. And we would sit down and the waitress would be like, hey, how are we? Like, no talking. This is what we want to eat. <laughs> right? Right? And then, and then she would be like, and then as soon as the food was set down, give us our check right now. Right? Because we need to keep this moving so that we don't go home. And he's not like, ah, in the babysitter's face. Right? Because he's hungry. He gets hangry, hungry and angry like his daddy does. And so... Uh, I watched Steph for 14 months never be further away than two, two and a half hours. The first time as we started to wean him that she spent like six or seven hours away from him was like a week before COVID started. I remember that. You know, so just when she was getting her freedom, <laughs> slammed down, right? And uh, it was good. But I watched the vulnerability and the nurture that comes with that, right? 
the late nights, the early mornings. I mean, Paul is saying this at a time when there was no such thing as formula, when there was no such thing as pumping, when there was no such thing as refrigeration. To being a nursing mother in Paul's time was a full-time job, right? And Paul says that's his approach to ministry. That's his approach to parenting. It's an embrace of the inconvenience. It's an embrace of the slowness. The entire pace of our life changed for 14 or 15 months. Some of you saw that, right? I mean, the entire way that we went about the nurturing, the inconvenience, that translates into how we spiritually parent. It means answering the late night phone calls. It means staying up late. It means getting up early. It means having the conversation again and then again and then again, if only to help our spiritual kids get the breakthrough, right? Um, we had a young man live with us for about two years, and one of the things that we learned about him was that he, he was very introverted. So we could be with him all day and like eat meals, and, but he would only want to talk to us in the last five minutes of like a murder mystery crime show. <laughs> so like, it, I swear, just as, just as they were about to be like, because we were watching a lot of Midsummer Murders. I don't know if you watched those on BBC. Um, so just they were about to be like, it was Mr. Smith. You know, we, they would just be about to, and he would come in and he would want to talk in that moment. Right? And what we learned in that moment was, do you know what you do in that moment? You, you hit pause, and you have the conversation. That's spiritual parenting. That's parenting. It is an embrace of the inconvenience. It is an embrace of the different uh, pace of life. Paul likens his ministry to a mother, and then he likens it to being a father. And he says, as a father, this is verses 10 and 11. As a father, he uses kind of three approaches to spiritual parenting. He uses three kinds of language or three kinds of postures. In the New Living Translation, it says that he pleaded, encouraged, and urged. I went and looked at some other translations, and it feels like the words get out of order, and different words are used, but there seems to be kind of three buckets that Paul has in mind, three approaches to biological spiritual parenting. And the first bucket is like instructing or teaching, right? It's just giving some instruction, maybe some exhortation around, hey, this is how it looks, this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is why we do it, right? I mean, we do this biologically as I'm, like, explaining to Jack, like, how we put on pants, right? This is what it looks like. Somebody came over recently, helped me hang a fan in our upstairs, teaching me, like, this is the wire that you don't touch if you want to not die, right? Um, Joy knows these things. Um, uh, 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 and, and there are times where with our biological kids or our spiritual kids, we're instructing. I remember Preston about this time last year, maybe a little before, calling me and wanting to talk about, so what does giving look like? And how does that work? And why do we do it? And how do we know how much? And how does this work? And how does that work? And so there were a lot of instructions, right? And exhorting, you can do this. This is how we do it. Using your, Paul says in First Corinthians 4, use my life as a model, right? I, I, we are constantly offering ourselves, not as a perfect example, but a living example. So this is the stop process that Steph and I use, and this is how that looks like. And, this, and we had this conversation about what that would look like, right? Instructing, exhorting. That's one bucket. Another bucket is comforting and encouraging, right? He says we comfort and encouraging. I mean, they're just moments when whether you're biological kids or your spiritual kids, that was really hard. I'm really sorry. Just kind of come alongside them. That sucked. And we don't explain. 
That is not the moment, by the way, in biological or spiritual parenting when the emotions are high is not the time to explain. When it's time for comforting, we comfort. When it's time for, for teaching, we teach. But we don't teach when we should be comforting, right? Falls off the radar. We just comfort. We encourage. Jack fell this morning. It wasn't a time to tell him, well, but when you run that way and drag your feet, that's why you fall. No, he's sobbing. You comfort right? Somebody I'm investing in called me a couple Saturdays ago, an inconvenient time, picked up the phone. They were in tears on the phone. That was not the time to talk through the options and replay and shoulda, woulda, coulda, and this is what you should have done. No. Well, I'm really sorry. Well, I'm so sorry. Hey, can I pray with you? It's about all you got, right? So there's this instruction, exhortation, there's this comforting and encouraging, and then there is, there is, there's a time that we draw a line, but not by saying, because I said so, but Paul says that he insisted, other translations say, we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. There are moments where we just have to insist. This is not a conversation, right? Sometimes I will say, I'm not asking, I'm telling, right? I have to insist, right? Honestly, I do this with our staff sometimes. And they're very patient with me, but I'll say, I I'm not asking, I'm telling, right? There's not a, there's not a back and forth. Some of the people I disciple, there's not a back and forth. This is not a consensus conversation. This is a directive conversation. I'm going to insist that it look this way. I would say of the three buckets, this is the one you use most sparingly, right? Insisting with Jack looks like uh, I, I think there's seasons, probably. I mean, right now we're in a season with a lot of insisting. Yes, you need to pee in the potty. Yes, you need to wear underwear today. Yes, you need to put on shoes. Yes, you need to be buckled into the car seat, right? Like there's an insisting in this season that I don't think I want to be insisting with Jack when he's 22 and a half like I am when he's two and a half, right? Right? Probably won't lead to a good relationship as seasons change. And so there's this insisting. I was just in a conversation last week where I had to insist gently and quietly, this is the way it's going to be. I'm inviting you, I said, I'm inviting you to consider this. And you can either come or not come, but this is, this is the option in front of you, right? So we insist and plead, we, we encourage and we comfort and we uh, exhort and instruct. And I would say, whether in discipling others or mentoring others or simply biologically parenting or grandparenting, if you find yourself continuing to come up against the same conversation over and over again and you keep hitting the same wall, it's probably because you keep just going to the same bucket and you need to change your approach. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, uh, only speak that which is fitting for building up as fits the occasion. Some occasions require different kinds of speech. Some occasions require a different kind of approach. If you feel stuck in your discipleship, if you feel stuck, um, sometimes the stuckness is just the pains of childbirth. So let me kind of offer two other thoughts, and then we'll take communion together today. If I were to summarize parenting of all kinds, the kind that I do with Jack, with you, the kind of parent, the, the grandparenting that you can do, the spiritual grandparenting that you can do, here's how I would summarize what that approach is. My, it, I'm stealing this from my friend Chris. Chris says, I want to love my kids like I won't have them tomorrow. 
I want to love my kids like I won't have them tomorrow. I want to train my kids like they don't have me tomorrow. I want to love my kids like they won't have me, I won't have them tomorrow. I want to pour myself out. I mean, this is why for me with Jack, I'm looking for places to say yes in a season where we say no a lot, right? So if Jack says, let's have a picnic, as long as it's not snowing and 35 degrees, I'm down, right? Um, I want to find ways to say yes because I want to love them like I won't have them tomorrow. But I want to train him. I want to train him in such a way that if he doesn't have me tomorrow, he can flourish and succeed. And, and that's what I, I view our church. Like, I, I talk to our teams about, like, this is what you do if I'm hit by a bus today, right? I'm like, this is who's in charge, and this is who will make decisions. Because I want to train our teams, I want to train our leaders that they're ready to go in the absence of me or of us. I want to love you like every Sunday is my last Sunday to be your pastor. There's no change coming. This is not like a get your head in the space thing. I'm just saying, I want to love you like every week with you is my last week. I want to train you like every week with you is my last week. And you can do this, by the way, and all kinds, of, you can do this as grandparents. And I would even say, by the way, grandparents, you can probably be more fruitful and successful in training than your kids can be with their kids. Right? I don't want to do that. Mom told me to. But if grandma said it, okay. Right? Um, there, you can be more fruitful in that. And there's a different kind of love that you can bring in all seasons, whether you're mentoring a younger believer or hanging out with your grandkids or talking with your adult children. Speaking as an adult child, there's just a whole other dynamic, isn't there, between parents, us and our parents, right? We want to be loved. We want to love our kids like we won't have them tomorrow. We want to train them like they won't have us tomorrow. And, and here's the good news this morning. Are you ready for some good news? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to speak too harshly. You're going to insist when you should have comforted. You're going to comfort when you should have taught. You should have taught when you should have... You're going to, you're going to fail. Your kids may end up in counseling one day. Okay. Pay for it. You're going to fail. But look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. For we speak as messengers, or parents, as it were, approved by who, church? Approved by who? Anybody looking? By God. We speak as messengers or parents approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. I'll tell you what, man. You please your kids, they're the kid at nine years old throwing a tantrum in, tar in Target. You know what I'm saying? Right? I was just talking to somebody about this between services. You are not raising your kids to be the age they are. You're raising them to be 40. Right? And we've all met a toddler in a 40-year-old's body, haven't we? Right? Not pleasant. But if you please your kids, you're not training your kids all the time, right? If you're just people-pleasing, you're not training. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Listen to me. 
through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, through faith in his name, you've been approved by God. And so in those moments where you blow it, in those moments when you whiff, you say, I'm sorry, and you rest in your approval that comes from God. And listen, if you are raising, if you have adult kids or like te- kids in their late teens, it is so easy in that season of life to shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? Like you can remember, our parents can remember moments. If I'd only done this instead of that, if I'd said it this way instead of that way, if I hadn't pushed so hard then, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that, and you can kind of be crushed under the weight of like your mistakes and failings as a parent, can I just remind you today, you are approved by God. His approval is for you. And that doesn't mean there isn't apology work to be done and reconciling work to be done and forgiveness work to be done, but you are approved by God. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. And so when you fail, rest in the grace that is yours by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me, let me pray for you. And then we're into communion. Heavenly Father, we are so glad to be parented by you today. Uh, you're really good at this. You are really good at loving us and speaking the truth in love and coming alongside of us. And so it's our desire this morning to be more like you. So we pray, Father, uh, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my sons and daughters who are also parents, uh, biological or spiritual, that you would refresh them today, that where there is a sense of failure, you would speak hope and new life and forgiveness, where there is a sense of just weariness and exhaustion, you would refresh God, I pray for marriages that are not on the same page in this room, and I pray for a breakthrough of the Holy Spirit to bring unity and power started with repentance and confession of sin. Um, And Lord, I pray that our sons and daughters in this church would be mighty in the land. I I pray that we would embed them in in environments and spiritual families that help them find Jesus so attractive and so compelling that they place their faith in him and live as missionaries. Uh, in this, in our world. Um, But Lord, I just pray today for your grace to be upon my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed by one of his spiritual children, Jesus took bread. And he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus knew that to be a parent was to be broken. In the same way also with his spiritual kids, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says that to be a parent is to be poured out. But he also says that being poured out is the way to being filled. He says that the way that being broken is the way to wholeness. And so if you feel broken and empty today as a parent, biological or spiritual, my invitation is to come to this table and to find new strength and new hope and refreshment and grace to meet the challenges of parenting ahead of you, biological, spiritual, grand or great grand. 
And this morning, if you are lamenting the brokenness and emptiness of your children, if you see them struggling and straining, you just don't even know how to get there, can I invite you to come to this table as a declaration that God is for them, that the goodness and mercy of God pursues them all the days of their life. We, we come to this table to encounter Jesus, and because it's Jesus' table, everyone with a pulse is invited. Everyone with a pulse is invited. And so in a moment, you'll be invited to come forward. You'll grab, someone will hand you a communion element, kind of combined, because grace is given, it's not taken. We have gluten-free. And you can just go back to your seat and take it as you're ready. Right? Um, but everyone with a pulse is welcome. I, but I do, need, I do need two people to help me serve communion. Brittany, Caleb. If you need gluten-free, just let one of these cool kids know and they'll help you out. So we pray, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup. That in the eating and drinking of them, we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. We might have an encounter with you, that we might find grace to strengthen and give us the patience to endure even today. Lord, would you heal our brokenness? Would you restore us in our failure? And would you speak grace over us as we come to your table together today? In Jesus' name, amen. The table is open. Taste and see that the Lord is good.